He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? And we're live. Welcome, everybody, here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin, today joined by somebody who, uh, you know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. Jovan Buha is my favorite uh, beat reporter. Uh, Dan Wojcicki had that title for a little bit, but has since lost it um, now that you have made two appearances to his one. So, Dan... Apologies, man. You you you, uh, you you have some work to do, but um, thank you very much, Jovan, for hopping on uh, during what is a an ever a never ending off season. It feels like we're just stuck in August for eternity, basically. Um, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. How are you doing? You know, I, I I'm recording this, and I have my son sleeping off to off off camera here, so I'm just making sure that that's okay, and we're we're just gonna get through it, but. You wrote a piece for uh, The Athletic where you do tremendous work. Um, and, uh, you know, in the middle of the offseason, you blessed us all with offseason content. So thank you very much for that. And <laughs> it, it was a fantastic feature, is a fantastic feature that you wrote for The Athletic about Austin Reeves. And it's such a unique story, especially for the Lakers, in that this guy was a complete unknown then Colt Hero, then, holy shit, he might actually really be good. And then now it's like, wait, where's the ceiling on this guy? And, um, and you know, it's even reached the point where people wondered for a little bit if his star search was so insane that he was dating Taylor Swift. So that's where I want to start this. Um, no. uh, but, but like, I, I'm just kind of curious about, uh, you know, f- from your experience here, this is a pretty unprecedented story. Undrafted player in only two seasons playing for now Team USA. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think you you put it you know eloquently when when you kind of laid it out with uh, just rewriting his ceiling continually every step of the way. Uh, where going back to high school, this was a guy who only had three college scholarships. This was it wasn't like you know sometimes there's these undrafted guys that are pedigree guys that, you know, just kind of get lost along the way, or maybe they had an injury or something. Uh, But with Austin, it was kind of, you know, throughout his entire basketball, you know, adult or, you know, kind of teenage into adult, uh, you know, journey, he's been underrated, overlooked, um, and and just kind of, you know, had to scrap and, and fight for everything that he's earned. So, to again be a high school player who only had three college scholarship offers then he goes to wichita state uh, isn't really you know happy with his role and and you know kind of looking at his basketball future then he transfers to oklahoma and even then you know despite i think if you look at some of his college film showing a lot of the traits that he showed with the lakers and and a lot of this stuff he was doing at the university of oklahoma uh, but for whatever reason, that was you know overlooked again during the draft yeah. process, and he wasn't athletic enough. He was too skinny. Uh, th- they weren't sure what position he was. Uh, so you know then ha- has the Detroit opportunity to go number forty-two, but they were only looking at him with a two-way. Uh, so he decided to bet on himself and uh, decline getting drafted. And uh, they had a whole tiered system, and Lakers were number two on that list behind Milwaukee. And ends up signing a two-way with the Lakers, and then within uh, less than a few, few months, weeks. yeah, like <laughs> yeah. shines at the at the LeBron minicamp, and LeBron and AD are like, this guy has to be on our uh, roster. And, and Lakers had planned on carrying fifteen guys going to, the, I mean, fourteen guys going to the season. Yeah. Austin pushed his way to be that fifteenth. So, uh, and then from there, I mean, even the first year and a half, like, I mean, going back to last season, he wasn't even starting. He wasn't a full-time starter until you know late in the season, basically almost game 70 uh, was when he became a, a full-time starter. So uh, I think, you know, it's kind of fu- comical looking back on it of like Lonnie Walker was starting on uh, over him for most of the season, Malik Beasley then after yeah. the trade deadline. And now we're talking about this guy as 
clearly the third best player. I, I don't think it's a debate. I, I don't think there's anyone else you can make the case for. But no. playing on Team USA, uh, he's he's got a debut sneaker that sold out in less than ten minutes. He, he's got the Taylor Swift dating rumors. He, he's all across LA on these billboards for Lemon Daddy, uh, w- which is just a <laughs> hilarious name, and, and it kind of fits Austin. Did you get and, Austin to say Lemon Daddy? Because I would be just like an, an incredible sound I didn't. Bite. Uh, I, didn't. <laughs> I, I wish I did now that, that you're saying that. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I just think, but throughout this, you know, throughout his career and throughout his journey, he's maintained this chip because that, that was the thing I, that was kind of the thesis behind this story of, Austin Reeves is a made man. He's had all the success over the last few months. He, and you know, I think for a lot of guys, there'd be a level of satisfaction. Like you've had, I mean, he's having success right now that like, if we were ranking guys entering their third year in the NBA right now, I mean, he's gotta be in the top five, right? Like, I I mean, I I don't even off the top of my head. I, I, I don't know the ranking, but like, He's in that conversation, and this is for a guy who, who went undrafted. And uh, to me, to have all that success, like, how do you keep that underdog identity? How do you yeah. keep that chip on your shoulder? And that was what I tried to lay out with the feature. Yeah, I think I saw one of those, you know, NBA something, something um, Twitter accounts asking for a redraft of Austin's draft class. And it was like, would he go top five, top 10? And I'm like, holy shit, that's actually a great question. And he's like, he's way older. He's, you know, he's 25. And it was funny, even in the, in the game when they played against Germany, right? He's playing against Bonga, who obviously a former Laker. And um, it broke my brain to like Google their ages. And Austin is 25. Bonga is still, I think, 23. And, you know, that's, that's also always going to be a factor and something that needs to be taken into account. But even still, like, it, it, it's still a meteoric rise. And, and it's still, like I said, it's, it's really rare. We've been, you know, we've been doing this. I've been doing this for about going on a decade now, watching the, watching the league closely for a couple decades, I would say. And in my lifetime, there just aren't very many stories like this. they're just they're just there it it, you know especially when you take into account what you're talking about where like you could say gilbert arenas right the 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 player for whom uh that that uh arenas rule is is named right and i think he was like a second round pick for the the golden state warriors out of arizona and um you know even that was kind of a surprise that he dropped that far and then he immediately gets there and just is this prolific score and winds up having a really good career. Um, but even that he was, he was a pretty good player at Arizona and he was somewhat disappointing and that's why he slipped. And, and, and here we are like, you know, now, and, and he winds up getting the big payday that, that teams were hoping to use against the Lakers. And we'll talk a little bit about the process of the contract and stuff here in a bit, but, but yeah, it's just so fascinating to find an unprecedented unique story. And I thought, Again, uh, for the athletic, you did a great job of of telling that. Um, I want to I want to talk about like him, the basketball player, because I think that is a big reason why. Like Grant Hill talked about and and he used the the term like he just has it right. He just has that thing. And um, lately, the debate when it comes to Team USA is Jalen Brunson is the starting point guard. And that starting unit isn't quite clicking the way that it kind of needs to. And there's some people asking, maybe should it be Halliburton who starts there? Maybe um, Ingram goes to the bench and you go Halliburton, Reeves, and Anthony Edwards as your kind of perimeter players there. And, you know, it's just, it's wild that Jalen Brunson, a guy who just went and turned around the Knicks, and Brandon Ingram, a uh, former most improved player in his own right, and you're talking about Austin in that in the same breath as those guys as somebody who could supplant them in that role. And that's just an incredible. And it made me wonder, and the other night on the lowdown, I tried to explain it. And the analogy I used is like if you're building a, a brick wall, right? You have your your actual bricks, you know, that that are going to take the brunt of of the force against that wall, and then you have your mortar. And most players kind of fall into one of those two categories. You have your stars who are your bricks, and then you have your role players who allow those stars to fit together. 
And the thing that I find unique about Austin, though, is that he can actually, depending on lineup, be either brick or mortar. And that is incredibly rare to find. Yeah, I think I would put myself in the top 1% of Austin believers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, to me, it was clear early in his rookie season he should be starting. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because Avery Bradley should not have been starting. <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. You feel, uh, I feel like that was kind of a red flag for Avery Bradley that like they had that camp in, in LeBron and AD was like he is killing Avery Bradley. Can we get uh, this guy on the roster? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and I was like Wayne Ellington, and uh, yeah. I mean, Malik obviously had had a, a pretty good season, but. So I, I think going back, like, so I, that's, the, that's the, the context of what I'm about to say. Like, I was surprised that at how well he held his own in the Team USA scrimmages. And mm-hmm. uh, again, saying this as someone who is a, an Austin believer, I think he can be an all-star. I think he can be the Lakers' third star. I, I think he's really, really good. Uh, but seeing him going up against Anthony Edwards, because he was playing with the bench unit, so he was – Defending Anthony Edwards and Brandon Ingram and Mikhail Bridges and Jalen Brunson and and switching across all four of those positions and holding a zone against those guys and those guys are all all star you know level guys or or near all star level guys and Austin was not only like it wasn't just a situation where he was fitting in where you didn't you didn't look at him like oh this guy shouldn't be on the floor it was like he was making plays and yeah uh, you know pulling up uh, you know, for jumpers over guys and, and creating in the pick and roll and defending guys 94 feet. So just to see that, it really confirmed. And, and honestly, we, we see more with the Team USA stuff than we do with the Laker stuff. Like most of the time when we go to Laker practice, they've already they, – we don't see scrimmages. It's mostly we just shooting. See, it's, it's free throws. It's threes. Uh, it, it's drill work, but it's not you know actual scrimmaging. Uh, so to see that – I mean, I'm sure it would look even different in Laker practice where he's cooking, you know, whatever uh, role player he's matched up with. But yeah. going up against all-star level guys and really holding his own and, and being the glue of that second unit alongside Tyrese Halberton, uh, I, I think if you look at that starting group, there's just not a lot of you know above-average passing and, and playmaking. Like, I know in- Ingram can do it and, and Brunson can do it. But when you look at Bridges, Jaron Jackson Jr., and uh, Anthony Edwards, like I just think overall there isn't that same level of playmaking and, mm-hmm. and creation for others that you you've had in uh, you know with other Team USA starting groups. So that's where I, I do think there's something to potentially putting Austin or Tyrese in the starting lineup, giving it another ball handler, another guy who can break down people and pick and rolls. Just you know, hit ahead passes. Uh, just make things easier for that group because really, that that is an ISO heavy group of guys who are used to having to create their own shot. And and I just think you you see that sometimes where they can get stagnant, they can devolve into one on one, you know, yeah, my turn, turn, your turn, my basketball. Turn. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's where Austin and Tyrese just come in and they change the pace. Uh, they, they it's just it's about let's find the best shot, not. I need to create something. So I think there's something to that. They probably do need to like, I think the Brunson thing, it's, it's tricky because he established himself as the leader of the group. And I just think, yeah, Steve Kerr loves him. And, and there's just, he just has too much cachet right now. I, I think in that locker room to move him to the bench. So I, I do think if you're looking at it, it's Ingram or bridges, but because of bridges is better off the ball uh, in terms of like, he just kind of naturally has that three and D skill set. Uh, you know, prior to developing as a on-ball guy in, in Brooklyn, so I, I would probably move Ingram to the bench, uh, yeah. and and have him come off uh, and kind of be a scorer with that second group, and then put in Tyrese or Austin, uh, depending on how they kind of view uh, the defensive matchups. Yeah, I, I the the Brunson thing is kind of tricky, and it's going to be really interesting. It's one thing like. JaVale McGee started for the championship Lakers team, right? Like whoever starts doesn't necessarily matter, but I thought I did find it interesting against Germany that Kerr stuck with Austin Kerr stuck with Halliburton and it, and it helped that they were on like a 20 to something run to, 
get back into the game and eventually pass up Germany to win it. Um, win it kind of going away too. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's going to get kind of awkward and I, I can't wait to see how the, uh, dis- diplomacy plays out there. Um, Austin himself though, I remember, I forget, I forget if the, I think Pete said it on, on the show, but I asked him because, you know, when all the rumors started about Austin's free agency and the kind of offers that he might be getting and what the Lakers themselves might offer and stuff like that. I remember I, you know, Pete, um, Laker film room pod and, and, and the sort, um, he was on here and I asked him like, has Austin changed at all? Have you noticed? Like, you know, I, I, I facetiously said, you know, does he, does he not let people stare him in the eyes now? Like, is there, is he, you know, has he changed? And it was funny. Um, Mirren Fader was, Mirren Fader was on the show maybe a couple weeks prior or maybe a, a month or so prior. And, um, she had said that Austin is still this like super cheap guy and like, would still get the cheapest haircut that he got that he could and and that the money wouldn't really change him and and um it it is funny to see like that that same like aw shucks thing still is is the way that he maintains himself off of the court but the thing that pete made sure to say is that like no no no, he's a fucking sociopath like he's he he is a killer and um, that's the aspect of it that I find really interesting with Austin, the person, the, you know, we could talk about the stuff that he brings to the table as a basketball player, but to have the amount of confidence that he has in his game, given the track that he's been on is so interesting to me, you know, where, and, and maybe to a certain extent, the path allows it. He's been doubted so long by so many people that he's just like, it is really me against the world. Um, but I do find it interesting and, and over the course of last year on a LeBron team, on an Anthony Davis team, there were stretches. There was a game against Utah where he took like three straight pull-up jumpers at the free throw line. And he had the confidence to do that with those guys standing there on the court. And those guys had the confidence in him to let him do that, to let him cook like that. So um, what, like from, from your time watching him, like, what unlocks that? Like, where do you think he, he, he derives that confidence from? That's a good question. Uh, I'm honestly not sure, but <laughs> it's, I, I think it's a, yeah. it is. I don't a, know where it comes from, but yeah. I, I know it's a, it's a legit thing. And I think it's the, it's the driving force behind all of his success, because I think if he didn't have that confidence, it would have been so easy to give up at any point. Uh, along his basketball path where again coming out of high school you're not really you know well regarded coming out of college you're not uh ready for the draft process you know looking at the the scene you don't have many offers beyond you know several two-way contracts and even with the lakers again it was a two-way contract initially and he had to fight his way onto the team then even that uh you know i I think he was with the lakers he was the 15th guy and like i i think we can, I mean, make, make the argument that like he's kind of been underutilized. I think on the Lakers, like again, yeah. I, I think he should have been starting early in his rookie season and, and playing more overall. And then I think he definitely should have been starting. When I was projecting out the starting lineups uh, for his second year, I had him uh, in that starting group and and thought he should have been starting the entire time. So uh, to see him also kind of battle with like even when he's showing out and playing well. You know, whether it's politics or just, you know, uh, kind of being pigeonholed in a certain role uh, where, you know, I think the Lakers have liked him as like that spark off the bench, that energy guy. But like he's just so much more than that. Uh, so he's overcome a lot. Uh, and again, even with the Team USA stuff, like you saw, I saw it in my mentions uh, when I you know would, would talk about it on Twitter uh, or, or wrote about it like. People are saying, why is this guy on Team USA? They're wasting a roster yeah. spot. Like, you know, Trey Young should be on the team over him, whatever. And he showed, like, I, I mean, you, you can make a case, like, if you're making the 12, like, the best 12 players on Team USA, maybe he's not on that group. But with, with this group and the guys that were actually available and that they were looking at, like, he's clearly, I, I mean, he's in the top seven or eight with, with, with this uh, group, which is kind of crazy when you look at how many again, all-star, you know, young pedigree guys they have, you would think Austin's lower on that totem pole. But um, so to me, I think the, the confidence drives everything. And again, uh, 
you know, talking to him about his, how he views things and, and his chip on his shoulder. Like he, the first thing he brings up is like, I'm still pissed about not making the rising stars uh, challenge back in February. Like that's driving me right now of like, how did you guys think I shouldn't be on that team? And it's yeah. just little things like that. Like he, he's got as cliche as it can sound, like he's got the, the mama mentality of like, he remembers every little slight. He's always looking for fuel. Um, you know, maybe the, the, the Jordan meme is, um, you know, I took that personally. Like he, that's, that's yeah. Austin. He's looking for that. And it's everywhere still, again, there's like, even with my story yesterday, there are people that are like overrated. He's a Laker. Da, da, da. Like it's just, he, he kind of, and he sees that he, he talked about seeing some of that stuff on social media and like that stuff's all fueling him. Yeah. I, that's where it gets tough because like good white players do get somewhat overhyped. Right. And the Lakers have such an insane, huge and loud fan base that, yeah, that you are going to hear more about them. And these accounts that exist to get engagement know that if you tweet about the Laker on team USA, Lakers fans are going to get behind it and retweet it and all that stuff. And, you know, mathematically speaking, there is some of that going on, but also he is that good. Like <laughs> that's, that's the crazy thing is that like, you do see him go out there and the, the, the basketball that team USA was playing just looked better. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's just because of him. He played a lot with Tyrese Halliburton. I think Talibert, uh, Halliburton is, um, I just think he's a better player than Jalen Brunson personally. And, and so like, it helps that you're playing with the better point guard and, and the more connective point guard and, and, you know, Austin's game, I think because of the way that he can shoot and his quicker release, which has been really cool to see is his, his release is a lot faster on team USA than we saw it last year. And it's still going in, I think 50 per 57% from three so far in these exhibition Crazy. games, um, after tweaking his release is nuts. And, um, and yeah, I just, th there are other factors, but he is still that good. He is still, you know, that player and, and, and that talented, um, I, I'm curious where you see his ceiling though. Like if you, he is 25. So like pro projecting him out, isn't quite the same as it would be if he was, you know, 22 or 23. Um, he, I've had people close to him say that they see him as a potential like top 25 player. Darvin Ham has said that, uh, he sees him potentially making an all-star, which would make him a top 30 player. Um, where do you see this going? I could see all-star top 30 guy. Uh, mm -hmm. I think to your point, like he's probably got two to three years until he's in his prime. Uh, but again, I, I think if you look at how much he's grown, not only yeah. season over season, but within seasons, like I, I think that's kind of been the crazy thing with him is it's like there are times with Austin where it almost feels like, like, that you know the the scenes from the spider-man movies where he just gets his powers and he's kind of yeah. like figuring them out like he's he's kind of got some of that where it's like every game every rep you know every second he's out there he's kind of like absorbing things and and, and you know uh, observing and, and learning and, and really uh adapting and, and kind of like learning on the fly and I, I think it's almost like the more knowledge he has just the more powerful he is because he's so smart and because he plays the game, you know, um, just, I, I think through such an intellectual level, but so I would say I, I wouldn't like, I, I could buy the, the all-star hype. Um, I think it would probably be more of a scenario where maybe like two, 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 three years from now, where like if LeBron's still on the team, but it, it's more of like, he's playing 24, 26 minutes a night that, you know, they're kind of load managing him or, or just, uh, you know, reducing his workload and Austin really has to be that number two option, probably on a nightly basis, at least in the regular season. And then you kind of see him get 21 to 24 points a night, you know, six, mm -hmm. seven assists, four or five rebounds, really good shooting percentages. And obviously, you know, you know plus defender. So that to me is, is probably the path to him making an all-star team. Uh, but it, it it's tough to, Cause again, there's like, there's, there's still this cognitive dissonance of like top 30. And you think about some of the guys, like yeah. <laughs> you think about like a Pascal Siakam or like a Bradley Beal and like some of these names that are like borderline 
or, or just inside the top 30 and putting Austin in that class, it still feels premature right now. But the, I mean, the guy we saw at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs, he wasn't top 30, but he was a legit, like there. high level starter, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on that trajectory. So I want to see what he looks like next year. I, I, I'm also interested to see how Darwin frames things because Darwin was, was very this. adamant about the whole like, oh, you know, behind LeBron and AD, it's it could be anyone's night. It could be Austin, D'Lo, Rui, uh, Dennis. And Austin really distanced himself from that group. I think, again, it's clear that he, I mean, he was the Lakers' top priority in, in, in the offseason. He's their third best player. And, I mean, Darwin kind of doubled down on, on that, uh, you know, uh, assertion with his comments about Austin being an all-star. But Darwin has always, you know, he's, he's a player-friendly coach. He is always hyping his guys up in the media. And he, he has this tendency where if, even if you ask him about a player in particular, he will find, like, if you ask him about Austin, he'll compliment Austin and then he'll throw in, like, well, and D'Lo, you know, does a lot of the same <laughs> things. And, like, Gabe yeah. Vincent, too. And, like, he's one of those guys who, like, he it's almost like he's conscious of how much he's praising someone. So then he'll have to try and like even out the praise and, and not play favorites, but like molded in Twitter where like you, you give a yeah. compliment to anybody and it's a slight to somebody else. Exactly. But I'm interested to see like come media day, are they really hyping up Austin as like the number three guy? Or is it still like, well, we got D'Lo who's a former all-star and like, we just paid, we're paying Rui more money than Austin technically. And like Rui's mm-hmm. a big part of what, like, I'm just interested in how they kind of frame it. To me, I, w- I would go into the lean into the big three narrative and uh, say Austin's kind of your young star on the rise that we're confident could be a big three with LeBron and AD, but I don't know how they're going to play that. I think this is the first year where they aren't doing the, like the, the, it's completely positionless, right? The all-star vote. So I'm really kind of curious yeah. where his votes come out um, for the all-star game. Uh, but yeah, I'm, do you see him as a, uh, as I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be this rigid, but do you see him? He sees himself in your piece as a point guard. He wants to get back to playing more point guard and, and, and stuff like that. I, um, heading into this off season was hoping that the Lakers would treat him as the point guard, the starting point guard next year and and try to you know ironically the perfect player to put next to him is kcp but um but like the the if if he sees himself as a point guard and like you talked about um you know darvin is is a very egalitarian um coach i i would like to see austin is your starting point Maybe you play D'Lo as like your tertiary option out there, and then Vincent manages the second unit. But but um, do you see Austin as a point guard? Yeah, um, and and as you said, that's that's the position he grew up playing. That is the position he's most comfortable playing. I think we've seen, for as good as he can be off the ball. A lot of the highlights and and sort of the success he's had has been him having the ball more. I think a big part of that was uh, getting rid of Russell Westbrook and creating, you know, uh, opening up some of that usage and, and some of that ball handling and, and playmaking opportunities for Austin. Uh, just because looking at the guys they brought in, uh, it wasn't going to be Vando, Rui, or Malik. Uh, and, uh, you know, D'Lo obviously can do some of that stuff, but I think Austin does it at a higher level. Uh, so yeah, I, I think really when we, when we look back, I think with some distance from the Lakers, uh, you know, trade deadline and, and the success they had in the second half of the year, I think the biggest thing was Austin and his growth. And yeah, like, yes, there was an addition by subtraction element of getting rid of Russ and adding complimentary role players and adding depth. But all the, all those guys had their moments, uh, especially in the regular season and, some of it carried into the playoffs, but all those guys also fell out. What? I was going to say, I think Malik had like a Malik moment in the, Orle- the, the New Orleans game. <laughs> and then um, I'm just like, eh. yeah, yeah. But, uh, but you know, Van- but all those guys also like, 
I mean, Vando got played off the court kind of in every series. Uh, yeah. D'Lo, I would say the Denver series, but to me was more up and down in the first two series than people seem to remember. I, I think mm-hmm. there's this notion that like he was great the first two rounds and he really struggled in the conference finals, but like, don't forget the first two rounds. I'm like, if you actually go back, like, and some of those games where he had double figure scoring, it was like, like one of them was the, I think game five in, in golden state where Lakers get uh, slaughtered. And I think he had like seven points going to the fourth quarter. He scores eight in the, in a four, you know, they're down 30 in the fourth, he scores eight and he mm-hmm. finishes with 15. So you can look at that and be like, yeah, look, he had 15 in this game, but like, the context of it actually was he was not good the first three quarters. Not no one on the Lakers really was, but yeah, that was a game where like I would actually put that as like a minus D'Lo game rather than someone might look at the box score and be like, oh, 15. Uh, so and he had like another game too where he was pretty bad, and then he hit like three threes, and that's what everybody kind of remembers. Yeah, it, rather than like the bad stretch, you know, because and like, like D'Lo's that kind of player. He's a very loud one way or the other player, right? He's yeah. really loud bad, and he's really loud good. And then with Rui, like, I think people kind of forget, Rui was not playing that well, uh, really, in the regular season. Kind of, like, entering the playoffs, Rui yeah. was a wild card of, like, he had had some good games, but remember, he had that DNP CD late in March uh, against the Bulls where Darwin had to kind of send him a message of, like, you got to stop just looking for your shot. You got to play within the system. You got to embrace the role player things that we're asking you to do. So even a guy like Rui, I think was huge in the playoffs, but up until that point, hadn't probably had the regular season contribution that guys like Vando and D'Lo and, and Malik had had. So really, when we look back at it, like what was the, the biggest thing? Austin went nuclear basically from mid-February on of yeah. him stepping into a higher usage role, playing with the ball more in his hands. And, and just being the third guy that he became over that second half. So um, I think he's a point guard. Uh, I have a weird, like, uh, fantasy lineup where I think it would be really cool. Like, I could see at some point the Lakers' best lineup being AD, LeBron, Rui, Max Christie, and Austin Reeves. And all right. like, <laughs> you're now, on the right now, show for that. <laughs> now, now you got, you got size across all five positions. You know, Austin's big for a point guard. Uh, you could switch across not one through five, but like at least one through four, those guys can all like Max and, and Austin could play up. You know, Max yeah. has got good size and athleticism and uh, you know, Austin has shown he, he can battle bigger guys. So like, I just love that lineup on both ends. Uh, you got LeBron and Austin running the offense. Uh, 80 is a screener. And then Max, uh, and then Rui. We'll see if his three-point percentage carries over from the play. It's not going to carry over forty-eight percent, no. but like, can he be thirty-five, thirty-six percent reliably? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but I, I actually think like Max kind of taking that KCP uh, type role of the off, you know, big off guard can defend multiple positions, knock down open threes, get out in transition. Like, I think Max can do that, and that to me is a lineup where like that could potentially be their closing lineup at some point. And Hey, why not make that their starting lineup, depending on again, how uh, Max and, and Rui develop. Yeah. I, I am right there with you on Max. I think it would, I think if that happened early, it would be because D'Lo just wasn't very good. And Vincent um, is more of the player he was in the regular season than he was in the postseason, But I am, I, I, I've been saying all summer, um, so much so it, it, it's summer league. The people were like asking if I was okay, um, about how much I wanted to talk about Max Christie. <laughs> so, um, uh, last thing before we get you out of here, uh, and, and, and completely, uh, segueing away from, and, and I want to be clear, I hope everybody does check out your piece for the athletic on Austin Reeves. It's fantastic. I'll put it in the, in the uh, show notes as well. Um, we're still waiting for the Lakers to fill out their 14th roster spot. Uh, and there, I think you were the, the, I, I think we, I, I saw you mentioned that um, Christian Wood is really has uh, an eye on what's going on in Miami with who is involved in the trade there and, and all of that stuff. Um, I haven't checked in in a little bit, but last I heard the Lakers were still focused on on Wood as their first priority, and then from there it goes like Biombo, and then 
we'll see. But I know they do, they, they do still want a center. Um, have you heard anything there on 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 Wood? Um, and if it is Wood, like how, how would you feel about Wood as the addition versus some of the other options out there on the market? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been pretty uh, pretty silent, pretty just uh, you know status quo with uh, the the big man situation. Like, you know, from my understanding, Wood is in the mix for Miami, so he, he's waiting out that situation. Uh, He's the Lakers' top priority. Biombo's uh, number two. I almost said Bamba. Biombo's uh, <laughs> number two. Yeah. And I think... Bamba's like, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> I could have stayed. Uh, so if, if, Wood, if Wood goes to Miami or potentially there's an opening elsewhere, if, if that's a three-team trade, a four-team trade, you, you know, musical chairs kind of with the, the front court situation, if he goes elsewhere, I think they just kind of immediately sign Biombo and then... Uh, from my understanding, JaVale, I think he hasn't really been a rotation guy for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I think had he shown a little bit more, there would potentially be interest in a reunion and, and kind of running it back similar to running it back with Dwight. And, you know, they, they had yeah. some success with that. He, even with the third stint, I thought Dwight had some pretty good performances in, in games uh, yeah. on his last legs. Like once a week, he was fine. Yeah. But JaVale, I don't. I think that would be option number three behind Biombo and Wood. Uh, so I, I don't foresee a JaVale reunion uh, until those two guys are off the market. So I think it's really going to be like at some point the Lakers have to make a decision of are we going to wait this Wood situation out into the regular season? Uh, I mean, Wood has to make a decision of yeah, he needs if to game isn't someone. traded by opening day of, of training camp. Like, Am I really just gonna not get paid and and just be on the market? So, yeah, you know, we got a five weeks until uh, media day. So I, I think there's gonna be some resolution within the next five weeks. I would probably bet, barring a Dame trade happening out of the blue within the next two or three weeks, I'd probably bet on it happening week four, week five, like kind of those two weeks leading into training camp is when I think the Lakers, you know, if they're kind of done waiting on Christian Wood, they just say, okay, let's, let's sign Bismack. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think it's still those two guys. I know Laker fans are, are uh, impatient and, uh, are, are tired no. of waiting. <laughs> well, they're, they're tired of waiting. It's, it's been, yeah. we, it's been the same two names for a month and a half now. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, so, or month, whatever, but yeah. So I, that's my understanding of it. Now, as far as the fit, I, I admittedly, I, I'm not the biggest Wood guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, well, <laughs> that, <laughs> I that'll be the clip for the show. I, I, yeah. yeah. I set myself up with that one. Uh, like I, I think just hearing some of the things behind the scenes and then the defense, uh, I thought Cran just had a really good breakdown of him on, on his podcast, uh, Lakers, uh, exceptional podcast, uh, about his defense and it being better than people think. But I, I still think they're in comparison with Biombo that there is a gap there. And, uh, I also think as I, I wrote a story a few weeks ago about how the Lakers too big, uh, lineup fantasy just doesn't make sense to me. And if if you look at 80 is a five and LeBron is a four, that is different that like in 2020, 80 was still probably more of a five, but you could say like 4.5, 80 is a five in 2023 and LeBron is probably more of a 4.5 than even a, 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 a four in, in 2023. So like, I just think the notion of sliding those guys down in the lineup, um, you know, kind of putting like putting more pressure on those guys to defend on the perimeter, uh, I, I think is a losing formula. And especially when those guys aren't shooting the ball, like that's a whole other conversation of like, it's one thing yeah. if, if 80, if you're telling me 80 is shooting like 2020, which we've now had, three seasons since then which he has not shot that way then sure you can sell me on another big in the lineup but uh, i think it can work in in, against second units i think it can work in spurts but if you're saying the foundation of the lakers rotation is another big man starting next to ad and those lineups playing 15 to 24 minutes a night i I don't think that makes any sense in 2023 uh so to me the the argument for christian wood is he's he has more upside. He's more skilled. He's more talented. Like you know, all all those 
um, the scripters, and I think he could withstand the eighty. Like when eighty's injured, he can step in, play twenty five, yep. thirty minutes, and, and help you. Kind of in that Thomas, very similar to Thomas Bryant, but probably he's even higher up. Better Thomas he's, Bryant. He's a, he's a better. Yeah. He's a better Thomas Bryant. Mm-hmm. But re- remember, I mean, with eighty was healthy, Thomas Bryant wasn't happy with his role, and there were some nights he was yeah. playing eight, ten, twelve minutes, and that partnership never really worked together. Excuse me, worked together on on either end. So. I guess for me, I, I would go Biombo. I think it just he gives them a little bit more of what they need. He's a more reliable option. I think they just need a guy who can finish inside, block shots, rebound, hold down the fort for ten to fifteen minutes uh, when AD's off the floor. That to me is Biombo, not Christian Wood. But I understand. I mean, Christian Wood is their number one guy, and uh, I understand the appeal of him on a minimum contract, but. I'm I'm somewhat skeptical. He's also based available on, for a minimum contract. For a he's reason. also available, but talking to people in his previous stops, uh, talking to people who covered him in his previous stops, I just I think there's a reason why he's on a minimum contract. Yeah. Uh, despite putting up big numbers in, in various places, and uh, I think some like we just had a situation with Russell Westbrook, you know, or the Lakers had a situation with Russell Westbrook where uh, they were trying to fit a. Uh, you know, a, a square into a, a you know round hole, square right? peg into a round hole, square mm-hmm. peg in, into a round hole, and uh, you know more. Wood yeah, talk. on R- Russ, uh, Russ was better than some of the point guard options out there, but it just wasn't a great fit, and he never bought into his role. And with Christian Wood, if he buys in, like yes, that's the highest upside possibility. But we've also seen certain guys just struggle to do that, and I don't, I don't know if he's in the position where he's desperate enough to fully buy in, but we'll see. The other aspect of it that um, is a factor to your, to your last point about like what happens if he doesn't buy in the Lakers are hard capped and they aren't going to be able to just cycle through other options if that doesn't work out. So like whoever they do bring in on that 14th roster spot, if you have to use the 15th roster spot to make up for that being a mistake or not necessarily working out um, that does complicate things. I, I am personally still, you know, pulling for the Lakers to wind up with Christian Wood. I think, uh, I think there's still a bit of a talent deficiency there, especially at the center spot. I would feel better about that spot if they had a better player than Jackson Hayes as the backup player right now. Um, but also like the, the uh, yeah. part of it, the, the part of like the, the Biombo thing that I like the Lakers, the last couple seasons haven't had a player who like, stepped in and was the muscle out there on the court was like usable muscle that could be, you know, they, they missed the Markeith Morris. They missed the Boogie cousins. They missed the Dwight where if like, I remember there was a game, I forget who the, who the opponent was, but somebody fouled LeBron really hard. And I noticed nobody did a thing. And, and, in a playoff game, if somebody fouls your absolute best player, and maybe this is me just being like an old curmudgeon or whatever, but historically, if somebody fouls the best player on the other team a little bit too hard, it's on somebody to step up. If someone and take hits a Steph similar Curry, foul. Draymond is stepping in. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, and and you know we saw it all the time. You know, with uh, you know, Kurt Rambis was like, I'm I'm reading the 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 Showtime book and watching the the winning time show right Kurt Rambis was that back in the day and then eventually it was like Horace Grant on the three Pete Lakers the year that he was there and you know we talked about Dwight and 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 the role that he played there the the Lakers just haven't had somebody out there who can step in and and commit a hard foul an extra hard foul to say like no 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 you don't you don't get to hit LeBron AD or even you know Reeves to bring this conversation full circle. So Wood isn't that player. Biombo that's the thing that he brings that it most intrigues me is that he's a little bit more reliable, higher uh, you know baseline player, and also brings this piece to the puzzle that the Lakers just haven't haven't had in like a couple of years. Well, you bring up a good point that I, I was kind of trying to make but I think you made it better where I think like to me Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are kind of two I don't want to say two sides of the same coin because I think Wood is a lot more established and has proven that he's Mm -hmm. at at least a rotation guy but 
Uh, to me, they're more like upside guys where, uh, again, like I think Wood would have a relatively limited role. So he would have to find a way to thrive in that, you know, 18 limited to 24 role. minutes a night, most likely coming off the bench. But who knows? Maybe they acquiesce to him and, and start him and do the two big thing. Uh, but I think having two guys who are potentially unreliable as your backup options, like the Lakers have kind of had that, as, as you've alluded yeah. to, with like, you know, Thomas Bryant is obviously bounced around. Uh, you know, Damian Jones, uh, DeAndre Jordan was on his last legs, but somehow has continued to extend his career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the like, most likable you know. player in the history of the league. So I, I think for me, I would have, I would have maybe preferred in, in hindsight's 2020, but like a Christian Wood, Bismack Biombo center pairing off the bench and maybe no Jackson Hayes. And, and that you kind of have like, the upside guy and the reliable guy. And then it's like, you can go different looks like wood could play next to AD in certain lineups. Uh, Biombo gives you that muscle off the bench and the rim protection. Like his, I think people don't realize how good of a rim protector he was like last year, second in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim behind mm -hmm. triple J that's the defensive yeah. player of the year. So not saying he's triple J, but just to have that guy for 10, 12, 15 minutes as a bench rim protector, the Lakers haven't had a reliable bench rim protector Really, since Dwight, since but like since probably the championship year, Dwight, like kind yeah, of right. the second yeah. or the third stint, Dwight, but really the championship year, Dwight. And I think to have that role would be invaluable. And, and just like I'm also kind of open to do you just sign Wood and Biombo? And I, I know they don't want to do that, I know they want to have that open roster spot and, and whatever, but to me, like Jackson Hayes has not proven that he is a night to night guy. Uh, there's a chance he's not and sure take the upside swing. But I think to, to go into the season being like, we're going to rely on wood and Jackson Hayes. There's a scenario in which it, the upside hits and Jackson Hayes is locked in. He develops on, on all his talent and upside wood buys into his role, et cetera, et cetera. There's also a scenario where Jackson Hayes is the same guy. He's been in new Orleans, which at some parts last season was their, their third or fourth string center. And Christian wood is the guy that, has bounced around the league and people have kind of continually given up on. And now you're back to the same scenario of like eighties are only playable big. And the other guy we haven't mentioned is Colin Castleton. I think he's going to have a legit shot to make the roster. Uh, I think that if the wood and beyond situations drag out, if those two guys go elsewhere, Colin Castleton will have a legit shot. Uh, I think, you know, they're going to have the mini camp again. He could pull on Austin Reeves, same agents, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, we'll see if, if he can play his way on that the agent, roster, by the but... way, they did the same thing with Castleton as, as they did with Reeves, yep. where they put together that list of teams and, and, uh, they have an analytics department there at AMR and, and they, uh, they threw together a, a collection of teams and, and the Lakers were at the top of the, the list for Castleton in terms of uh reliable possibility that he could crack that roster. I, it's funny nobody's going to sit here and shed a tear over Jackson Hayes getting signed to a, a minimum contract. But um, a lot of like where the Lakers find themselves right now makes a lot more sense without Hayes on the roster, right? Because if you, if you don't have Hayes on the roster, you could go out and get both Biombo and Wood, or you could do, you could, you could bring in Wood and also, uh, convert Castleton's contract uh, in the same way you did Reeves. But so long as Hayes is on the roster, it makes it kind of tough because you're hard captain and just cutting somebody before the season even starts just doesn't make very much sense. I just don't think they ever thought it, there was a world in which Wood or Biombo would be available for the minimum. I, I mean, we're really getting to the weeds here, but I think that's kind of how I view both uh, Reddish and Hayes. Yeah. I think that those are, I would have preferred one of the two and, and probably not both. Uh, yeah. But because to me, there's a chance that both guys, I mean, at least based on what they've shown in the NBA, there's a chance that both guys just aren't rotation guys. And now you only have 14 guys on the roster because you want to keep one spot open. And two of these guys are not, because we also have to remember, like not only have they not really been reliable rotation guys in general, but they haven't played in in playoff games and, and big moments. Yeah. And so there's a jump to go from like lottery team, barely rotation player to rotation player on like a 
playoff team to yeah. then rotation player on a contender. And like to be clear, the Lakers don't need them to be rotation players ultimately. Like I think they have the depth and the flexibility and versatility to use the rest of the rotation. When I did my rotation projection, like I, I had Hayes as as the tenth guy and uh, Cam Reddish outside the rotation altogether. Yep, but same. if you're looking at fourteen, you know we're we're only committing to fourteen guys, and now two of these guys might not be able to play. All of a sudden, you're down to twelve, and AD goes down, LeBron goes down, whoever goes down. Now all of a sudden, you got eleven playable guys, and like I, I just think they're gambling on on at least one of those two guys hitting, if not both. And I'm a little skeptical based on what we've seen from both in in you know throughout their short careers so far. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even more so, like, to be clear, like, Malik Monk had, sh- had shown way more in Charlotte than either Jackson Hayes or Cam Rash. Even Lonnie Walker, I think, like, he was starting uh, for, for parts in San Antonio. Like, f- for as much as those guys were projects or gambles, like, this is more of, like, a Stanley Johnson level to me of, like... Yeah. A- and Stanley did have some productive moments for the Lakers, but ultimately... On a bad team. It was a bad team, and, and you know, we've seen since then he struggled to stay in the league, but... Yeah, I would say like even the people kind of trying to compare this to Malik or Lonnie, I think those two guys are just a flat out better, and that has since been proven with you know them. You know, I mean Lonnie got a minimum deal, but like I think he'll play a, a solid role for the Nets. Uh, Malik was in the six man of the year running for Sacramento. Like those two guys were just better, I think, in in general than these two. But they'd also shown more. I think if you go back and look at Charlotte, if you go back and look at San Antonio, Lonnie and Malik had had moments. They had had yeah. productive stretches. There were just some other questions with them. Jackson Hayes and Cam Reddish, I, I don't think, have shown anywhere near to the same potential, at least on an NBA floor, that those two guys had previously shown. Yeah, if if like if Hayes leaves the Lakers, I'm not concerned that he's going to go out and be some impact player for for some other team. But when Monk was no longer a Laker, when Monk signed with the Kings, I was like, oh, that's a fun that's a fun fit there. I thought that. Now, and even I, being high on Monk, I, I didn't think that he would be what he was for Sacramento. So, um, yeah, I, it's we'll see with both of those guys, and we'll see where things go here for the Lakers. But, uh, Jovan, thank you very much for hopping on. Again, you can find all of his work at The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, and uh, or I'm not going to say the other name for it. Um, you could also find him on TikTok under the same at as well. Um, and, and also keep an eye out for the stargazing pod as well. Uh, so we will talk to you soon. Jovan, thank you very much for hopping on and, uh, and, you know, keep on holding over Dan's head that you are my favorite beat reporter. I will. I will. Thanks, man. <laughs>